Teams that have turned the corner have lots to answer to if you're a fan of Miami, Dallas, and Seattle. A record-setting performance by a rookie quarterback and separation in the NFC are the themes after a wild Week 9 in the NFL. A couple of teams in college football dodge playoff extinction as the race gets tighter and tighter. Victor Wembanyama already has his signature NBA game. What could possibly stop or slow him to be an all-time great? And are the San Jose Sharks on their way to NHL futility as the worst regular season team of all time? Election day may be tomorrow, but I've got all the ballots in on the winners and losers when it comes to what's happening in sports. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Reels Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. One sport may be out of our consciousness for now, but there is plenty to dive in and unpack with the fall and winter variety as I present the latest podcast as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even. As early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and now that we have baseball, although you've had... Some things go along where it comes to trades, even some players that are opting out and are becoming free agents. Tim Anderson is one. And then you had a scenario, Mark Canna, I know that's small potatoes, but not to get into baseball, you have seen some activity here over the last couple of days as we get ready for the hot stove, which will take place in about a couple of weeks. But right now, what's hot is the NFL as we conclude a week nine tonight. In New York or in New Jersey, where the Chargers and Jets will square off. And that's a big game for both of those teams. The Chargers, for whatever fringe opportunity that they may have in the AFC, and the Jets just to not only keep pace, but even take a step ahead with Buffalo losing last night. And, of course, I'll get to that in a little bit. But an important game, nevertheless, and one that you won't have to shut off the TV. Something that at least you could rally around on a Monday night to watch as opposed to some of these games that we've seen over the past few Monday nights, whether it's Vegas at Detroit and the Bears being on primetime against the Chargers, the aforementioned LA team. But yesterday was one of the weeks here that when we take a look at it from a whole, and even going back to Thursday night with that Steeler game, which maybe I'll spend a couple minutes 
on a little bit later. But this was one where you finally had one of those topsy-turvy, just almost inexplicable type of weeks. Not to say every game was like that. Of course, that wasn't the case. But when we take a look at the teams that we expect to be there, and last week my theme was teams that were turning the corner. Whether it was the Bengals, a team that now looked like to be on the trajectory, and especially after last night's game, could be that force in the AFC. I also mentioned the Ravens, whereas we saw that yesterday, talk about taking a team to the back of the woodshed. But we've seen this movie before with Baltimore, and I'm going to get to them later on. But one of the teams that I talked about maybe turning that corner, especially with San Francisco going into a funk, are the Seattle Seahawks. And that's going to be my second team that I want to talk about because the first team that's going to have to get highlighted here are the Miami Dolphins. And with the game in Frankfurt yesterday, I understand 9.30 NFL Network, we talk about it all the time how these games and the schedule, they're just wearing it thin where they're just all over the map. And for those, especially on the West Coast, had to get up at 6.30 to watch this game. But for the Dolphins, and I get it, neutral site, and this was their opportunity to try to Show to the world, even though the game wasn't at Arrowhead, but to show that they belong with some of the big teams in the sport. We saw them fail in Buffalo. All right, they were competitive for about two and a half, almost three quarters in Philadelphia, but we saw what happened there. And then now this was another opportunity for the Dolphins to show the football world that they could be a team, not only that you could maybe even trust, but you would look at come January as maybe them getting on that magic carpet ride to a Super Bowl more so based on their offense and defense, but that they could play a solid, if not spectacular, opponent on the road. And what happened there yesterday? I get it, Tua, with the fumble there late, and that's one that I'm sure the Dolphin fan is still pulling their hair out of their heads over. But when you're down 21 nothing at the half, and of course you had the fumble recovery that went the other way from Tyreek Hill, and then you look, or you even thought that the game was going to be over at that point, But the Dolphins were able to chug along and give the Chief defense some credit because to hold that Dolphin offense to 14 points and one more time, we get it, it was on a neutral site, it wasn't in their building, and maybe even more respect to that Chief defense because they did it away from home and not in the friendly confines of whatever the stadium there is named in Germany. But when the Dolphins do not, I don't want to say show up, But when they don't show out, and even though they had that opportunity there to see if they could get the equalizer, and that wasn't the case, it's going to make you think long and hard whether or not that team is going to have any sustainability come January, especially if they're not going to be able to host at least two home games in the building, where if they go on the road for one game, and I understand that's going to be very dicey if you're a Dolphin fan, but knowing that they could be a team that could be either in the third slot in the conference and below, You would think that they may win the division based on Buffalo's ineptitude, but they have to get a two seed, but it looks like it's going to be tough sledding because now you have the Ravens ahead of them. And of course, the Chiefs are number one, and it could be a possibility that maybe even Baltimore may have the one seed. I haven't really gone through those proceedings. I have to think about which team has had the most conference losses, considering that Kansas City and Baltimore have not played one another. But the Dolphins, I'm not going to say that they're a fake team. We understand that they're going to bully a lot of the dregs and the teams that are beneath them but a team that is pretty much their level and above and on the road they cannot match that's team number one and it's Seattle's number two similar to what we saw with Detroit a couple of weeks ago when they went to Baltimore and they got whacked same for Seattle here and if you want to be taken seriously not to say they had to win the game 
I'm not saying that Seattle had to go in there and put up a ton of yards and a ton of points, etc., and then fly back to the Pacific Northwest with a 27-21 win. No, if they would have lost 27-21 and it was respectable, it wasn't 27-7 and then they had two late touchdowns to make it look like the game was closer than what it was. But what you saw there yesterday was just non-competitive. And I get it that the Raven team, when they're playing downhill, they are unstoppable. And to me, they are similar to the San Francisco 49ers from this regard. They are a front-running team. When all systems are going and they're rushing the ball, what do they rush, for 250 yards in the game? When they're doing that, I understand any NFL team's going to win, but we know the Ravens and how their offense is designed, and I get it, they're trying to open it up a little bit more. Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham Jr. to go along with Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman, etc. I get it, but for... And I understand it's more about the Seahawks, and I'll get to the Ravens in a second, so let me just put a pause on that as I'm kind of getting all over the map because everybody knows my disdain for the Ravens. But when Seattle goes in there and is non-competitive, how can you take that team seriously as a team in the NFC that could maybe make some hay and go on a little bit of a run to maybe an NFC championship? And I understand that that seems to be a tall order after that game here yesterday, but a lot of people thought with the way they played so far this year and knowing that they were in first place coming into this weekend, and now they just look like an NFC team that's going to make the playoffs, and chances are they will not get out of the wild card round based on what you saw there yesterday. And now let me get to the Ravens one more time. Front-running team, they're like the Niners of the AFC because when everything is going right, well, and near perfect where Brock Purdy is handing the ball off to Christian McCaffrey, he's ripping runs, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and even though Purdy has stubbed his toe here the last few weeks and now they have a bye as I'm sure they're going to regroup and get ready for the second half, but the Ravens play similar to the Niners in that regard. And they're going to play one another. I believe it's Christmas night. So that's going to be a fascinating game to watch. But the Ravens, as we've seen, they're 7-2. and two, They're two losses. They let the Colts hang around and bad coaching by Harbaugh. And the same with the Steelers, how if Lamar Jackson threw a touchdown there at 10-8, the game would have been over. But when they let these teams hang around and they're in a rock fight, they can't seem to, for whatever reason, play well or at least extend their lead because they are in a grudge match and they're not playing with all cylinders clicking to the point where they have all these rushing yards, time of possession, they're able to run up the score. And I understand the Ravens have been a lot more versatile with their offense. It's not just run, 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 run. But you could slow and certainly keep this team contained to the point where if you get into that in the muck, in the trenches, a mud type of game where it's going to be dominated on the line of scrimmage on both sides, then... You have a chance to beat the Ravens, but if they're going to be running around all over the field and having just a, let's face it, a rocking chair type of scenario, they're going to be unbeatable. So that's my Raven, even Niner comparison when it comes to both of those teams, because when they're ever trailing or when they are in the crux of the game where either the coach will make a mistake or Jackson may make an error or whatever it may be, this is why... When the money's on the line, you have to worry about these teams when you get deeper into the season, and especially in January, maybe February. So just keep those receipts as we get deeper into the season. Because yes, everything's looking rosy in Baltimore, and everybody thinks, wow, this could be a Super Bowl contender, and they might well be when it's all said and done. I'm not going to be stupid or have my bias against them to think that they don't have the tools. Although their defense, eh, I'm not too crazy about it, but... 
I get it. Six points against the Lions. Three points against the Seahawks. 124 points in nine games. Do the math. That's a little bit over 13 points a game. That is excellent. But nobody's going to confuse that Raven defense with the Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Haloti Noda, Terrell Suggs defense of yesteryear. And then the third team, as far as turning the corner and especially not winning a big road game, are the Cowboys. Now, they played well yesterday, and I get it. We could talk about the two-point conversion with Dak stepping out of bounds, and we could talk about them being right there on the doorstep, even with Jalen Hurts, no pun intended, hurting with his knee as he got injured there in the first half, and he gutted that game out, and kudos to him. But the Cowboys, they can never seem to win a big game on the road themselves. And they still got to go to Buffalo. They still got to go to Miami. All right, they're going to play Washington later in the year, and who knows what the weather and if they need the game. So they have some road games on their schedule that are going to be tricky. And again, if Dallas is going to make that deep run come January, they're going to have to win these type of games. Now, granted, they were right on the doorstep, what, at the six-yard line there as time was ticking, and then Dak takes that sack, goes 11 yards back, and then they get a penalty, and then third and 26, and even though CeeDee Lamb caught the ball at, what, the three, he fumbles it, and that's the game. And that seems to be the way the Cowboys play on the road, despite the fact that Prescott was, what, 29 for 44, 374 yards and three touchdowns? I mean, you couldn't ask for anything more from him. But the Cowboys, for whatever the reason, when the game is at its brightest, and we understand that at home they're dominant, they'll steamroll the Rams, they'll steamroll the Giants, the bad teams in the sport, and they could probably go along with the Seahawks and teams like that. But when they go up in class, as we've seen here, whether it was in San Francisco, obviously yesterday against Philadelphia, and all right, well, they beat the Chargers on the road. Okay, but we know the Chargers, they are Jekyll and Hyde. But this is a Cowboy team that has big expectations year in and year out, as lofty as they could possibly be. And if they would have won that game yesterday, that would have gone a long way considering that the Eagles have a very tough schedule upcoming. They have the Kansas City Chiefs on their schedule. They have Buffalo on their schedule. They have another game with the Cowboys. They go to Seattle. So they're going to the Cauldron. And the teeth of their schedule right here. If they were to win that game yesterday, they would have been even in the win-loss column. And even though the Cowboys, they still have a little bit of a tough sledding down the road, as I mentioned, Buffalo, Miami, etc. But at the end of the year, it eases up a bit. But for Dallas, for them to get that game, it would have gone miles to see where they would have stood in not only just in the division, but maybe in the whole conference. And now they're two and a half games back. And even though with the Eagles having a tricky schedule upcoming and the Dallas Cowboys may be able to make up some ground and they'll probably beat the Eagles in Texas later on this year. But at that point, who knows? They're going to have to deal about tiebreakers and Philly's going to have to lose a couple more games in order for Dallas to see if they could get not only the division to host a wild card and maybe even a divisional round, but maybe even a one seed when it's all said and done. And right now, they screw themselves at that. And it's interesting because the Cowboys and Dolphins, they mirror one another similar to the Niners and Ravens. Different books in the library, but Miami, Dallas, they can't seem to win the big road game. And as I mentioned, the Niners and Ravens, they're front-running teams. That if they're trailing or if they're playing one of those dirty not going as planned, 
almost have to kind of rewrite the playbook as you go, they're not good in those games. So that's what you have with those scenarios there as far as teams that I thought that may have turned the corner. Now, we know the Bengals have, and they're going to be next up. But you'd have to wonder if you're a Cowboy fan, Seahawk fan, and a Dolphin fan, you have to be puzzled to see whether or not your team is going to be able to survive in January. At least at this juncture of the season, because they have not shown or even proven otherwise. And now you had the big game last night with Buffalo and Cincinnati, which kind of wraps up that whole window that I talked about on Thursday, because you had that block from 9.30 in the morning in all the windows. So 9.30, 1 p.m., 4.25, and now 8.20, where you had Chiefs, Dolphins, Seahawks, Ravens, Cowboys, Eagles, and now you had the Bengals and Bills. And the Bengals, that was a weird game. A lot of flags there in the first half. Joe Burrow looking like Joe Cool. What else is new? Even with the busted fingers you saw there on his throwing hand, on his uh, index finger. But the Bengals did just enough. Burrow was spectacular again to piggyback off of what he did the week before in San Francisco. And Josh Allen, who threw a bad interception, although... They got nothing out of it, the Bengals, not even a field goal. But the Bengals definitely have the Bills number dating back to last year. I get it. You had the postseason game and then also the regular season game, DeMar Hamlin. I get it. Returning to the scene from earlier this year and what happened there on the Paycor Stadium turf. But the Bengals are looking like a team that even though they're currently a game and a half behind the Ravens in the division, but now they're starting to get gas in their tank. And after that 1-3 and three start, they've now won four in a row. And their last two games, beating the Niners and the Bills, they look like they're going to be a force. And it's going to be interesting to see them play again. This time will be in Baltimore. I believe it's a Sunday night game. Or maybe it's a Thursday night. Off the top of my head, I have to check that. Where Cincinnati and Baltimore will reacquaint themselves. And I understand with Baltimore winning in Cincinnati earlier. So this would be a huge game for the Ravens to win in their home stadium, but the Bengals are certainly flying high and playing well and looking like to see if they could slowly but surely creep up to the top of the AFC standings and see where they fall when it's all said and done. But a great performance there. And then Buffalo, I don't know if this team's going to click this year. They're 5-4. and four. They're erratic and sporadic when you think about it. Offensively, defensively, they're not great. I know they've suffered a lot of injuries. But I don't know if Buffalo is going to be able to get out of their own way. And as it is right now, they're probably going to be, I would think, a five seed. And even with the Dolphins losing, they're still technically a half game behind them. Because remember, even though they're a game in the standings, but I say a half game only because they got the tiebreaker right now, beating them head-to-head. But of course, the Dolphins do have a better record, so there's no tiebreaker to even factor in. But point of the matter is, is that the Dolphins are going to need that game when Buffalo goes down to... Hard Rock Cafe Stadium there late in the year. So I don't know if Buffalo is going to be that team. And they also have a tricky schedule. I mentioned them having to go to Philadelphia. They have Dallas coming into their building, which you would think they'll win because as we just talked about, Dallas can't win a big game on the road. So they also have some tough sledding for them as well. They got to go to New England, which I'm sorry, they played New England. They went to New England and lost to them. So that's my error there. New England comes to them and I would think that they're going to be ripe to exact some revenge from that game earlier in Foxborough. But who knows if Buffalo is going to be that team that 
at some point is finally going to get themselves in a groove, whether it be during this month or certainly sometime in December to get themselves into January and then all of a sudden it'll be all systems go. I don't know if Buffalo's going to have that. They still don't have a ground game. Their receivers, I get it. You know, they have good targets. Gabriel Davis, we know about Stephon Diggs. I, it's not as if they're bereft of talent offensively, but for whatever the reason, it just hasn't clicked this year. And their record indicates that. As far as the other games, I have to bring up C.J. Stroud and what he did yesterday. And Tampa, I understand it's not Simeon Rice, Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, John Lynch, etc. But man, that was some performance. 470 yards, five touchdowns. And to think, this year, and he's just about halfway through, he's thrown one interception all year. And he's a rookie. And they've taken chances. It's not as if they are looking at him as a game manager. Now, of course, they're not looking at him to throw 40 times a game, but if the recipe for that particular game calls for it, D'Amico Ryans is taking the reins off of him. I'm sure he's looking at his quarterback saying, hey, get all the mistakes. Not that he wants him to make mistakes, but get it all out now. This is the learning curve. I just got here as a coach. You just got here as a quarterback. This is your team. So make plays, do what you can, and that's it. And so far... The Texans, who knows? Maybe they could be a part of the AFC playoff mix as we get into the latter part of this month and into December. Because what he's done this year, and he eviscerated the Steelers early on this year, which at that point I thought was his best performance to date. But that was only trumped by what we saw there yesterday against Tampa. So you got to give it up to what he's done. He has just been remarkable. You might as well just give him the Offensive Rookie of the Year award because he has just been stupendous. And kudos to D'Amico Ryans and the Texans because with all the disaster that that organization went through over the last few years with the Sean Watson case, bringing in you know the Davis Mills of the world, and not to knock him because you know he tried and gave you an effort. But now that they got their quarterback in tow as well as their coach coming in in the same year as I mentioned, who knows where this could go as far as this organization, this franchise, and maybe do something that they haven't done in 20 plus years being in the NFL and that's getting to a conference title game and maybe even a Super Bowl. Not to say it's going to happen this year or next year, but who knows? Down the road, if you have a good coach and quarterback in the mix, anything is possible. And so far, it's all love there down in H-Town. And to go through some of these other games that took place, I know Minnesota, talk about Josh Dobbs, and he was a former Steeler, I might add. For him to be traded midweek, what was it, two weeks ago? Oh, it was just last week. From... Arizona to Minnesota, and then he gets to start this week where he had no reps, didn't even know his players' names, and what was he doing? Not only was he throwing the ball over the lot, but he was running for touchdowns, first downs, and they get that touchdown there late against the Falcons, and look at the Vikings. They were 1-4. and four. They've won four in a row. They're 5-4. and four. They're a game and a half back behind the Lions, and they still haven't played Detroit yet this year. So... Destiny is in their hands if they're able to take care of business against the teams that they should win against. And if they do well against the Lions, who knows? Could you imagine the Vikings winning a division when we all thought the Lions were going to be the team to beat in the NFC North? So kudos to Dobbs. Now, is it going to last? I know that's the other question. Chances are it probably won't. But at least for one week, you kind of feel good about yourselves if you're my guy Headstyle or Kev the Viking fan in the BX. I'm sure you're ecstatic thinking that, wait a minute. We were left for dead four weeks ago, and now we're a game over 500. 
Speaking of left for dead, the Arizona Cardinals. Now, Cleveland and Baltimore is going to be a very good game. And I believe it's this coming week. So that does mean that it is going to be a Thursday night game. Because I mentioned earlier, Bengals, Ravens. Because the Ravens have back-to-back, really three home games in a row here. Obviously beating the Seahawks yesterday. And then they have Cleveland coming into that building. And then... Four nights later, they're going to have the Ravens stop by. Or excuse me, they're going to have the Bengals stop by to play the Ravens. So, interesting test for not only just Baltimore, but even Cleveland for that matter. And they shut out the Arizona Cardinals there yesterday at, I guess, still Paul Brown Stadium. I don't even know what the name of the stadium is. But Deshaun Watson back in the mix, looking healthy. Played well. I get it's the Cardinals, but let's see how he's going to do when they go on the road to Baltimore. That's going to be the bigger test for Cleveland, if you ask me. So that was huge there. Washington with a big win, beating the Bengals. I get it that you had the pick there late by Mac Jones, which sealed the deal for the Commanders to win a game. You also had New Orleans, who are now 5-4 and four and are in first place in the NFC South as they beat the Bears. No shock there. You had Indianapolis winning in Carolina, where Bryce Young, the number one pick out of Alabama, throwing two pick sixes to Kenny Moore as his rookie year. It gets longer and longer and longer, but that's expected, even though you can't say that to C.J. Shroud this year, but the Colts winning down in Carolina, pretty much with Young just trying to learn his deal, learn the ropes of being an NFL quarterback in this league, and certainly tough sledding for him. Then you had, speaking of tough sledding, what about the Giants? Looks like Daniel Jones is going to be out for the year and pretty much out until next year with the MRI needing to take place on his ACL, where it looks like he tore it yesterday out in Vegas. You had Tommy DeVito come in. Remember him from the week before against the Jets? Now, what could you do? He's not going to be able to do much there, understood. But when you have the Raiders who are in disarray, considering they fired their head coach, their offensive coordinator, their GM, the equipment manager, the water boy, etc. And you had Antonio Pierce... Talk about irony, the former Giant linebacker who won a Super Bowl for the team in 2007, and it was almost as if the bad air was let out of the windows and the fresh air came in when McDaniels was out and Pierce in because Pierce, he said, hey, I want to get the respect of what Raider Nation should be, and we're going to have to go out there and play similar to the 2007 Giants. That was what was said in his pregame speech and I believe it was frowned upon in the past by Josh McDaniels because of course when the 07 Giants they beat the Patriots that year as far as them being perfect and having an undefeated season but McDaniels as uptight as he was as a lot of reports have come out this week regarding his coaching style and everybody was just tense and on edge and for McDaniels to do that to try to be you would think as you've seen a lot of the other Coaches from the Belichick tree try to be just like Bill Belichick, whether your name is Eric Mangini, whether your name is Matt Patricia, now with Josh McDaniels, just trying to be tight-lipped, trying to be Belichickian, and they're far from it to the point where these guys aren't able to last as coaches here in the NFL. So now you bring in Pierce, a former player, who has that mentality, probably had more of a player's coach feel, wanting the players just to be at ease, just to let loose, have fun, play football, fast and loose, etc. And what happened there yesterday? I get it. It was against an inferior opponent. But 30-6 to out in the desert? Let's see if that could carry over because now the Raiders are 4-5 and in the AFC and are on the fringe 
outside looking in, so I'll have to pay attention to what the Raiders may do in the weeks to come. Not to say that that's going to springboard them to a playoff berth, but who knows? Maybe with all the bad juju out and the good energy in, that may change the fortunes, at least for a few weeks, and maybe have them hanging around the AFC. And then lastly, you have the game on Thursday night. How the Steelers are winning these games are beyond me. It really is. I mean, they've been outgained in every game offensively this year. And they have five wins to boot. And all right, one of the games you had the defense win a game for you. That was week two against Cleveland when they had the two turnovers for touchdowns, which turned out to be the outcome of the game. But it's not as if this Steeler defense has Troy Polamalu, has James Harrison, James Farrier, has guys like that in the team where you could say, all right, we know they have some all pros there. Granted, they have T.J. Watt, and who knows, he's on his way to maybe winning another Defensive Player of the Year award, but this defense is piecemeal together. So it's not as if that's the dominant unit. It's a little bit more dominant than the offense because we know about their offensive line, but they barely get yards, they barely get first downs, and how they're still in these games are beyond me. It's not as if they had a million turnovers against Tennessee that night. They had the big one there at the end where Will Levis, and let me say this right now, That guy looks like he's going to be a good quarterback. He was making some big-time throws. He faced a ton of pressure that night. Made throws out of the pocket. Made throws with guys in his face. Guys draped on him, etc. And he played well. Until that final drive, which I thought in the back of my mind, I said, well, here comes the rookie pick. Here comes the rookie interception. But there was also part of me that says, watch Levis pull his team out of the fire and win the game. When they were down 20-16. to But as it was, Quan Anderson right there at the shadow of the goal line intercepts him. And the Steelers, I don't know how, win another game. And I'll say this, as a lifelong Steeler fan, they're doing it with smoke and mirrors. Let's call it as we see it. It's not as if they've been dominant offensively or even defensively or they just play their brand of football which keeps their team in the game. I'll have the Raven game as I mentioned, whatever it was, 10-15 minutes ago and somehow, some way, Tomlin mixes the elixir, gives it to whomever it is that's on the sidelines and next thing you know, they're victorious. And they have Green Bay coming into the building after a mini-bye. And Green Bay, as we know, although they won yesterday, they did beat the Rams. That's one game I didn't discuss. But again, the Rams were playing a backup quarterback. And they could be 6-3 and three heading into the final eight games of the season. But they still have two against the Bengals. They have another one against Cleveland and Cleveland. They got to go to Baltimore. So the schedule is going to be daunting, to say the least. And that's just in the division. They still have to make a trip to Seattle. And they play well in their building. So even though I knocked them before, but that's more of their performance on the road. But again, I have no answers for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year and how they've been able to win these games. And that is your NFL for week nine. And as I mentioned, Chargers Jets wrap it up here tonight. But just a crazy week. And... Now as we get into November, we're already into November, but get deeper into the month, and of course Thanksgiving on the horizon, etc. This is where the race will start to make some turns here as we try to get to the past the halfway pole, which for a lot of teams they're past, but there's still teams that have played eight games. And once we get past Thanksgiving and even into December, when we finally get to those final four games, that's when it's really going to ratchet it up. So NFL is going to be front and center, people, as I mentioned with baseball now exiting stage right. So you know it's going to be wall-to-wall pigskin here for now in the next couple of months. And speaking of which, as I put on my lesser helmet and shoulder pads, so to speak, for college football, 
pretty much chalk there. I know you had a couple of scares all over the weekend, especially on Saturday, where Washington outlasted USC in a crazy game. And that's the one thing if you're the Huskies, your defense, can you stop a nosebleed? And we understand Caleb Williams. We know he's a guy that has ability and maybe will not be the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. But, and as it was, Lincoln Riley fired his defensive coordinator after that game. And when you put up 52 points against any defense, it's time to give him the pink slip. But Washington survived a bit of a scare. Same for the Longhorns as they went into overtime against K-State, who was game. But they won an overtime there. So the Longhorns were able to survive and stay there as the seventh seed. And I'll go through the rankings there. Not seed, rank. There in the top 10 throughout the nation. You had Missouri with two late picks there by their quarterback, Brady Cook. Although the game was very competitive, give Mizzou all the credit in the world. But Georgia did what Georgia had to do and what champions are made of. They made just enough plays and more so on defense there late, even when it was 24-21. When they got the touchdown to take the lead and then they tacked on a couple of field goals to make it 30-21. And for Mizzou, they gave... The Bulldogs, all they can handle, but you could say maybe a bit of a scare, but Georgia was able to survive that as they continue to march on undefeated. And to me, they're still the number one team in the country. I understand people are going to look at Ohio State because of the coaches poll. Nonsense. I don't believe that, if you ask me. Jalen Milrow, I think he just scored another touchdown against the LSU defense as they were able to outlast their rivals there in the SEC. So the Crimson Tide continue to roll tide as they hope that one of the top four teams fall by the wayside. And we would think as the schedule tightens up a little bit, we're getting deeper into this month and a lot of the rivalry games will start to peak. So we'll keep an eye on that. And speaking of keeping an eye, we don't have to worry about Oklahoma anymore because after their pathetic loss to Kansas, they did lose to Oklahoma State. So any opportunity for them to be a part of the discussion when it comes to the college football playoff. They just flushed it down the toilet, losing to their rival, Oklahoma State. And that's what you have there with the college. As far as the rankings go, now it looks like Georgia in the coaches poll now has poll position. They're number one, followed by Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State. After that, Washington, Oregon, Texas, Alabama, Penn State, and it depends on which poll you look at because in the top 25, you have Penn State ranked ninth. No, as a matter of fact, I read that correctly. So yeah, and then your top 10 rolls out with Ole Miss. Not to say that Ole Miss, I would think I have an opportunity, but you're looking at those teams there. Maybe Penn State, only if they beat Michigan and win the Big Ten tournament, where they will go ahead and be one of the final spots. And then also, Michigan would have to beat Ohio State. So that's something you got to think about there. But for right this very moment, and we talked about it. Last week, there may be about seven or eight teams that can make it into the Final Four. Besides the top four, you would think Michigan and Ohio State are going to cancel each other out. That means another team will move up. Would that be Washington? Now they have a tough schedule. They're going to play Oregon again down the road. And remember, they had a barn burner there a couple weeks ago. So if Oregon beats Washington there in the Pac-12 championship, chances are Oregon could get that spot. I know a lot of people may think even Texas or even Alabama, if they win the SEC championship, if they end up beating Georgia, you would think Georgia will be there, but then you'd have to give Alabama their due. So it's going to be topsy-turvy here down the stretch unless it's going to be chalked the rest of the way and then you're not going to have a lot of drama. Well, it won't be chalked because of the Ohio State-Michigan factor, but other than that, 
we want to see some craziness here over the next few weeks. Well, the Florida State and their schedule is soft, but maybe they have a hiccup along the way. Who knows what's going to happen there with Washington, Oregon, as I mentioned. Texas, they still have a couple of games, and i got to look at their schedule. I'll talk about that more maybe later in the week. But for right now, it looks like you're going to have those top seven or eight teams in the nation look like they could be part of the Final Four when it's all said and done. And that's what you have there for a week number 10 in college football. Now as I lace up my high tops to go through the NBA, not much to really delve into. You only have one undefeated team in the sport, and that happens to be the Boston Celtics. 5-0, and they've been dominant here to start. Who knows how long it's going to last. I'm not going to get crazy if they go 10-0, and 15-0, and etc. Just one game at a time if you ask me. But you have Memphis get off the schneid as they got their first win against Portland. They had a back-to-back in Portland over the weekend where they lost the first game but then won yesterday. So they are the last team to finally get a win in the sports. So they don't have to worry about that. That cannot be said about the NHL team that hasn't won a game. And I'll get to them in a minute. But for the association overall, the one story, and I understand this happened on Thursday. So it's already been a few days since this has taken place. But Victor Wembenyama had his early statement NBA game where in Phoenix, and mind you, they swept the Suns in their building when they played Tuesday and Thursday. Wembenyama had 38 points, 10 rebounds, shot 15 for 26 from the field. And I understand that it's only the second week of the season, and I get it that it was, what, his fifth game in his career? But when you put up that type of number here in the early part of your season... And for them to know that this is going to be his team moving forward, that was not only just a performance that you can't even shake a stick at, but for him to have those type of numbers against a Sun team, and we know who's on that team. And not to say the Suns are going to be one of the all-time great teams of the regular season, but my point is, is that for him to go into that building and their team to win those two games where the Spurs may end up winning 30 games this year and to put up those type of numbers, it made me think of two things. The only thing that could stop this kid is going to be health, as we talked about in the past. Check those receipts. Because of his lanky frame and the build, and we don't know with the legs, especially with the legs and the feet when it comes to big men, as we've seen in the past, Bill Walton. We could also look at even Chet Holmgren last year. That was the example that I put forth uh, last week when I talked about Wembenyama. Uh, So many big men, even Yao Ming, remember he had a foot issue. Sam Bowie, if you want to go way back when he was drafted by the Portland Trailblazers, he had a foot injury and his career coming out of Kentucky was never the same. So with big men and those type of bodies, it's tough for the rigors of an 82-game season. And it doesn't matter how well you eat or how well you train, but we understand that the body can be brittle. And I'm not wishing this on the young kid by any stretch, but the... Things that are going to slow or stop him from being an all-time great, that's number one, his health. And number two, what is in his chest? The basketball IQ will be there, you would think, as he develops year after year. But is he going to have that killer instinct? Is he going to have that assassin's mentality? And if he has that, he's going to leave a lot of teams and players in their wake. And I get it. He's, what, 19? You can't bank on that right now. We got to wait till he gets into his early to mid-20s, and especially mid-to-late-20s, where we could really 
see this kid year in and year out and know the ability and know how he plays and know in big time situations because by then he'll have a few playoff series under his belt and who knows, maybe with Popovich at the helm they go to a conference championship or even a final. What is in his chest? What burns inside for him to be not only just a winner but to be the best? If he has that, look out NBA. And we're not going to know that for probably another four or five years. But if he gets it, and if he has it, forget it. And speaking of forget it, with the in-season tournament commencing on Friday night, and I'm sure a lot of people may be just, I don't want to say colorblind, that's a little strong, but when you see all the colors on those courts because of the NBA Cup, now that we're starting this tournament here, over the course of the next month. And when I'm watching these highlights, oh my goodness, I almost have to avert my eyes from just seeing stars or bright lights when I close my eyes because that's how bad it was. And I get it. They want to replicate that feel. They just don't want the regular floors. They want to add some animation or whatever. But to me, it's just too much. No need for the overkill when it comes to the court. All right, if you want to design it certain ways or what have you, okay, great. But to have like a blue streak at the top of the court, a blue streak at the bottom, and then everything in between... Uh, to me, it's just too much. I don't know about you guys and gals, but that was just too much to take. But now that this tournament is in earnest, we'll see how this is going to shake down here as it tries to get some buzz, as it tries to get some attention here in the early part of the season. And let's see where this goes leading into, what, December 5th and 7th in Las Vegas. To me, I understand why they're doing it, but is it really going to change the fans way to watch this game or is it really going to pique the interest of these fans to watch an NBA Cup where when it's all said and done it's meaningless that's the early take from it so far so we shall see as we move it along but the NBA that's what we got there nothing else to really dive into when it comes to what's happening with teams in the sport as I mentioned the Celtics the only undefeated team that's left I know the Sixers have played well since James Harden has been traded. They've won four in a row after losing that first game to the Bucks on TNT. And the Bucks are 3-2, and two, so they haven't really gotten off on the right foot when it comes to what's happening there with Damian Lillard, etc. I know James Harden's going to make his debut tonight as an LA Clipper at the Garden. And then after a day of tomorrow, we'll be in Brooklyn. Who knows what the response is will be there. Not to say that the Net fan is the dine-a-wool Northeast, New York, Philly, Boston type fan where they're just going to boo Harden out of the building. But who knows? With everything that had taken place over the last year and a half, and I don't believe he's played... uh, I'm sure he's played in the Barclays, obviously, last year with the playoffs, etc. But who knows? I'm sure he's not going to get a warm welcome when he steps foot into the Barclays on Wednesday. But you got that as far as news and notes with the association. But other than that, there isn't really much to unpack or really get into with other teams as the East is, eh, I don't know, Golden State 5-2, and two, but the Mavericks have played well, give it up, they're 6-1, they've gotten off to a tremendous start, and that's pretty much what you have there with the NBA. Now, as far as the NHL, the one story that I don't want to pick on this team, but you have to really consider, are the San Jose Sharks going to be the worst regular season team of all time? Now we're one-eighth into the NHL season. So it's a bit of a sample. Let's get to the quarter poll when we're at 21 games and maybe we can get a better idea. And we understand teams could get hot and teams can start winning games, etc. 
But the worst record in NHL history for a regular season, I believe, was the 74-75 Washington Capitals. Their record was 8-67-5. That's right. You heard that correctly. They only won eight games that year. They lost almost 70, and they tied five games. And currently, as constituted, the San Jose Sharks have not won a game. They are currently 0 10 and 1. And they're on the heels of losing their last two games. Not only did they give up a touchdown and a field goal in both of those games, that's right, they've given up 20 goals in the two games. But how many goals do you think they scored in those two contests? All right, was it like 10 5? Was it 10 4? Was it maybe a little bit more competitive and then the Canucks and Penguins who scored those 10 goals in each of those two games, maybe they had a big third period and just wore out the San Jose Sharks? No, they lost 10-2 to the Penguins and then before that they lost 10-1. This is a team that's been outscored 55-12. to Or maybe I may be more than that. Let me just double check that before I continue. But nevertheless... They have given up 20 goals in the last two games. They could barely score a goal to save their own lives. And for them to be 0-10-1, obviously they're on a pace to not win a game this year, which we all know that's not going to be the case. But yes, I stand corrected. They've scored 12 goals this year in 11 games, and they've given up 55. Do the math. This team is headed down an all-time epic bad year. And I hate to say it, you never want to see a team go that bad. You never want to see like the Lions 0-16 or even the Browns that one year were 0-16. Or even we thought earlier this year, the Oakland A's, they looked like they were going to challenge the 62 Mets 40-120 and where I believe at one point, what were they, like 11-55 and or 11-52? and And then they ended up winning what? Maybe in the high 40s or low 50s, which is still terrible. I'm not trying to exonerate them from having a better year, but they just didn't have an all-time worse year. But San Jose is on that trajectory. And I'm not going to say that that's going to happen. Get me to the halfway point and then we'll really take a good look at it. But I kind of hate to bring this up as a newsworthy item in the NHL. But boy, that just makes your eyes pop out of your head. And you could understand that they were competitive in these games. Where they're losing close games, they're losing in overtime, whatever. I get it, the record is what the record is. But when you're outscored 55-12... to 12, You're looking at not only a long year, but again, a historically awful year. And as far as the flip side of that, you finally had losses, speaking of which, for Vegas and for the Bruins as they both lost respectively. I know the Bruins lost to Detroit, and actually the Red Wings came from behind in that game. But the Golden Knights, they lost to Anaheim. After shutting out Colorado in a statement game. Talk about that. Colorado went to Vegas. Two behemoths out in the West. And what did they do? Talk about wiping them up and down the ice. 7-0 shutout of the Colorado Avalanche. But then they followed that up with a loss to Anaheim. So hey, they're not going to win every game. Same for the Bruins. But we all know they've gotten off to tremendous starts there. In their respective divisions. And even Dallas has overtaken Colorado in the Central. Just by a point. But the Stars have played well well here early on. We talked about how the Rangers have played. And even the Devils are starting to play a little bit better here. As they're just two points behind the Rangers in the Metropolitan. I know the Penguins. They are right now currently in last place. And I never thought 
in the world, even with some of the changes they made in the, in the offseason, they brought the defenseman in, and I didn't think that that was going to make them be a part of a turnaround in order for the Penguins to get their respectability back to maybe get one last run from their veteran aging stars, a la Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, etc. But they're currently at the bottom of the Metropolitan Division, excuse me, there with just eight points. And NHL, that's what you're going to have here week in, week out. Maple Leafs haven't played well. They've lost four in a row, and they got off to a very good start themselves, so they've hit a bit of a slide here. Tampa, remember, they don't have their goalie, so they're kind of not floundering. They're 5-3-3. Three, three. They're ahead of the Leafs there in the Atlantic. Red Wings have played well, like I mentioned, beating the Bruins, but they're in second place. NHL, we all know. It's a marathon. Same with the NBA. We could talk about different storylines and certain games or whatever, but we all know that not much is going to change over the days unless you have something drastic or, or just a team that's falling out of it. And one team in particular, before I even sign off, you have to wonder whether or not the Edmonton coach, Jay Woodcroft, is going to survive this. I get it that he lost Connor McDavid for two games there with that injury, and he came back actually earlier than expected, but they are 2-7-1 and one to start their year. And that is highly unacceptable considering the year they had last year. Now, mind you, they lost in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, but they were a team that had, what, in a high 1-0, they almost had 110 points on the year overall. And right now, they're currently 2-7-1. You have to wonder whether or not Woodcroft is going to be walking the plank soon, especially with a team with Leon Dreisaitl, obviously the reigning MVP in McDavid. And I understand maybe their goaltending and their defense isn't what it should be as far as being the complete team. This is an offensive-driven and led team, obviously by their two stars, amongst other players, Evander Kane, Ryan, Nugent Hopkins, etc. But for this team, they should be a lot better than what their record indicates, and winning two of your first ten certainly doesn't show that. So we'll have to see whether or not Woodcroft is going to be around any longer in Edmonton to see this thing through. And besides that, people, that's what I got. Another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for carving out precious moments out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. As I mentioned at the top, it's going to increase the visibility. You know the deal. So if you could do that, I would sincerely appreciate it. Hit me up on any of my socials, people, for a question, comment, suggestion. My YouTube channel, at J Reels. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. X, Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. Or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com because whether you do or do not know, This is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. We're already into the month of November. I got a lot cooking. And believe you me, when the time comes, especially once we get into the new year, it's going to be all uncovered. So you definitely want to stay tuned to what's going on, not only just here, in this microphone, through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers, but more importantly, even on my social media accounts, because I will keep you guys and gals abreast of what's happening there, because there's going to be a lot coming down the pike as we get toward the end of this year and into 2024, because I plan, and with the good Lord's grace above, for this one to be epic. So stay tuned for that, because you know, each and every podcast, I bring the fire, passion, fury, energy, to discuss my thoughts, feelings, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. 
from the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.